for those of you uh, that, uh, that don't know me, I'm Bob Gregory. Um, we have been involved with the True Education series since Bob Jorgensen first established it down in, uh, in North Carolina about 10 years ago. And Bob was a very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, over the years, we have uh, cooperated with him in True Education seminars through time. And uh, in 2009, uh, we actually held the first uh, True Education agriculture combination meeting at our facility in West Virginia. And we did that for two years, and then the, uh, the agriculture portion of those meetings was held at Uchi Pines for a couple of years, and uh, from that was birthed this organization, uh, the Adventist Agriculture Association, and uh, uh, we are, are greatly indebted to the service of the Dysinger family, to uh, the members of the board of directors of uh, AdAgra, and also to uh, to Bob Jorgensen and uh, and his memory for really providing inspiration to do this. Um, I have been involved in agriculture for the the majority of my uh, of my life. Uh, I uh, began as a crop consultant out in California. I did very large scale monoculture agriculture and managed very large farms and have had quite a variety of different things that I've been exposed to over the course of my career. Uh, about 30 years ago, I became convicted that organic agriculture was very important for a variety of reasons, and uh, not the least of which was my own personal health. And uh, since that time, I have uh, kind of left mainstream agriculture industry, and I spent 10 years uh, teaching agriculture at one of our, our uh, colleges in Virginia, and. Uh, uh, have since, in the last seven years, established a training program and a market farm in West Virginia where my wife and my daughter and I uh, basically do everything. And part of our reason for doing that was that we felt a calling to minister to folks such as yourselves that realize, uh, um, you know, perhaps uh, a little later than, than Sister White counseled us to realize it, that agriculture should be the A, B, and C of education, but we've realized that now. And I, I respect that we need to provide opportunities and venues for, for studying agriculture. So we uh, moved to West Virginia. We bought a 120-acre farm in an old school building. And in that uh, uh, setting, we have, for the last seven years, been offering agricultural training classes as well as supporting ourselves from agriculture. So that's a little bit about me, but this day isn't about me. It's about you. So I want to move on. and and really try to uh, cover a lot of ground with you today, no pun intended, uh, but uh, we have much to, to, to discuss and to think about today. Uh, I want to uh, first, though, open with a, a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's leading today, both for me and for all of you, that uh, we might receive the blessing that he has in store for us, if you would bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this uh, beautiful place, this wonderful opportunity to freely come together for the liberty and freedom of mind to speak uh, your truths and uh, your thoughts. And I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would attend each of us today as we uh, continue this, this study on agriculture. And uh, please bless and be with those that are within my hearing this morning that uh, your truths may be heard and not just the words that I utter. May I be a vehicle in your service today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Over the course of today, we have a number of topics that we're going to cover. My first one this morning is, is titled Fixing Depleted Soil. And really what I'm going to be sharing with you over the, 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 the period of time here is, is that really all of our soils are depleted. Uh, there are no ideal soils on this planet, and there haven't been for quite some time. And we're going to see what some of the consequences of that are. Later in our second presentation today, our second and third presentations before lunch, we're going to be talking about something called the base saturation. That's going to be probably a new term for many of you, but it's really one of the most critical uh, elements of our understanding for really getting the most out of our gardens. And we'll be going over uh, some explanation as to what that is and, and what we need to, to do in regard to that. And then we're going to talk about nutrients and how to calculate nutrients, not just for our plants' sake, but also for our sake. And we're going to see some of the the flaws in, in the, the current understanding of agricultural science, even within the cutting edge of the industry today and, and the science both of organic agriculture and conventional agriculture, there are some components to, to, to the puzzle of understanding soil that are just absolutely missing. And uh, we need to, to address some of that. And then my last presentation today will be on uh, on, on what can we use on our soil to correct these things that will provide us with some safety because there are all kinds of materials out there that people are very happy and willing to sell you and some of them uh, that you think might be safe are probably not safe. Others that uh, you deem unsafe, uh, especially from an organic perspective, may be a better choice in terms of safety and utility for you. So that's what we're going to cover this morning. I'd like you to take a moment and write down this website address, www.bereagardens.org. And the reason that I want you to write that down is because what I'm covering today, especially when we get into some of the more complex aspects of the soil science, uh, there are some free downloads of a PowerPoint presentation and some other uh, videos on our website that you are welcome to help yourself to. These are free videos and uh, that will definitely uh, help you uh, because frankly we're going to have to move fast enough today that you probably are not going to be able to, to digest everything that I have to share with you. But don't despair on that. If you've got the website and the web address you can go to a link on our web page and actually find some of what I'm, I'm presenting to you today uh, in 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 free downloads there. The other resource that you have available to you this week is that we will have a table over in the main meeting hall and we do have a, a DVD series also uh, that's available for purchase over there too that covers much of what I'm going to be sharing with you today and gives you the opportunity to uh, uh, to kind of do it at your own pace. <clears throat> uh, this, these are just some pictures of our farm. Uh, this is We bought an old school building as I said earlier and we've I've uh, been blessed with being able to use that to host people literally from all over the world at this point that have come through our training programs and uh, we converted the, uh, the upstairs rooms in this school building to, to, to guest rooms and uh, it's, you know, it's an old building, it's a, a wonderful resource but uh, we, uh, uh, we just feel that the Lord directed us uh, to that location particularly for that facility. It was not my desire to have all the maintenance duties and it wasn't my wife's desire to have all the cleaning duties for a 24,000 square foot facility. 
but nonetheless, we've uh, been blessed in putting it into service for the Lord, and it was provided to us at a very, very low price and has been a real blessing to us. We grow about three acres of, uh, of produce and fruit. We intensively farm on about two, two of those three acres. And uh, with the produce that we have coming off of the farm, we've supported ourselves for the last five years. Uh, we do have other revenue streams coming from the, the classes that we teach and from the DVDs, but basically most of that revenue uh, is to support the facility that we have, which we wouldn't normally have. And in terms of the farm produce that we, that we put out, if we lived in a modest home and uh, uh, were, were free of debt, we, we, we generate a very good living just off of, of what the produce of the farm provides. <clears throat> the Lord gave us, you know, two books for our understanding. And when it comes to agriculture, I want to emphasize this a little bit because many of us, especially that are awakening to the uh, to the importance of agriculture in our lives today, uh, I have pr probably neglected a little bit the, the second book, and that is the book of nature. And when Lord, the Lord provided us these two books, he provided them because in them are all the lessons that we need in order to successfully walk in the path that he has desired for us to walk. And because we have lost a little bit of our understanding of that book of nature over time and because of the consequences of sin, many of us are in a state of confusion today that we don't recognize that we're in. You know, we're blessed because of our pioneers in this church that gave us a very firm understanding of, of the prophetic messages in the Bible and the importance of the three angels' messages. But when it comes to our understanding of nature, we've really um, taken some steps that are a little bit perhaps out of line. And I just want uh, to point out something to you for emphasis of that. Um, if you go to Google and you look up the 10 uh, most widely sold Christian books, that's the Google search that I did. I wanted the 10 all-time best-selling Christian books. This is the list that I came up with. Now, obviously, the Bible is important for our study, right? And if I was someone that was, was new to the message of Christianity and I wanted to do due diligence in today's modern world, oftentimes we go to that Internet resource for research, don't we? And we'll start looking things up. And my point here is that as we look at this list, the Bible is number one, the Common Book of Prayer by Thomas Cranmar is number two, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, a book that most of us have read, is, is on here. Uh, we have The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, we have a, a few other books on this list, too. Uh, Ben-Hur, number 10, on this list. Now, if I was studying really earnest in my desire to understand Christianity, would those books be of help to me? No, they wouldn't, would they? But yet, that's what society says, and that's what the world tells us, are those are the best-telling Christian books. So by contrast, if we're trying to understand agriculture and we go to the Internet and we Google whatever the topic is that we might be wanting to, to, to understand, we're going to be fed a lot of distracting influences, aren't we? So this is why it's so very important, I believe, to make agriculture the ABC and the foundation of our education, to have practical experience, practical knowledge, and to test everything according to God's word, 
to what the spirit of prophecy tells us and our own experience with that book of nature. And that experience has to be honest, scientifically balanced experience. Um, Again, I want to emphasize that our perspective is very, very important. And what we look at becomes very, very important. This is a a picture of a a rose farm that I used to manage in Northern California. We had 2,400 acres of rose bushes. And this is what the field looked like. It's a beautiful field, don't you think? We used to have people that would come out for, for Sunday drives and, and, and you know, they would bring the whole family out and, and, and just look at the, at the beauty of this. But there's a lot of hidden deception in this picture. And when we look at it from the basis of perspective, we can look at that field and it has beauty in it. We can look at the single rose and it has beauty in it. We can look at the single petal from that rose, and it has beauty in it. And we can look at a microscopic view of that petal of that rose, and it also has beauty in it. So this is, is, is an important aspect of what I want to share with you over the course of today, is we have to look at things in perspective. And when it comes to dealing with soil science, we also need to look at things in perspective. Most of us as human beings have this great desire just to find the right formula or the right recipe or the right menu to follow, and we follow the steps, and when we follow those steps, we get to a given result. And I suspect that many of you are here today because what you want to hear from me is that if you do this and this and this and this, you will have this as your final result. Nature doesn't work that way, folks. Circumstances in the farm and on the garden require that we understand the principles behind those steps and not just the steps themselves. In the Signs of the Times in August of 1896, Ellen White wrote that agriculture should be advanced by scientific knowledge. Now, what is scientific knowledge? What is true scientific knowledge? It means that whatever is being studied is studied well enough to realize that there are laws in place. And a scientific law doesn't just apply in 99% of the cases, does it? It works all the time. So if we're going to advance agriculture from a scientific perspective, what it means is that what we do and what we apply has to work 100% of the time. Otherwise, it's anecdotal. It doesn't fit that scientific model. And unfortunately today, there are as many winds of doctrine blowing through agriculture as there are blowing through the Christian churches on this planet. And I'm very distressed by that. And the more we try to digest what's going on, the more confused we become. And there are a couple of very simple principles that I want to enforce in your minds today. And these are the principles that I am guided by. And that is that when God created Adam, he set him in a garden to dress it and to keep it. Not because a perfect garden needed a gardener, but because Adam needed the understanding of that garden to develop his character and to have a closer relationship with God. Even though he was speaking with him face to face, he needed that experience of seeing the interrelationships in God's creation to understand his true character of love and service. The other important thing that I think many of us lose sight of is that there was a consequence for the sin that took place in that garden. 
And God outlined that consequence when he basically passed sentence on Satan in Genesis 3.15 and on Eve and on Adam. And he instructed Adam and told him that by the sweat of his face shall he eat bread, that there was going to be toil involved in producing food. And toil in its Hebrew uh, translation there actually means uh, it, 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 it means, or I'm sorry, the word was sorrow, but the word sorrow actually translates to toil and to concern and to work and to effort. So effort needs to be expended in this process. And that process is part of our process of redemption. You know, he said that he was going to have to produce his food by sweat. And Satan over and over again tells us, especially today, no sweat. You know, there's a tool for that. There's, there's, there's a gadget for that. There's a, there's a remedy for that. There's a chemical for that. And unfortunately, many of us buy into that paradigm, which is not an accurate paradigm. The other thing that he told Adam was that he was going to till the earth, right? That word till is used also in that same chapter of Genesis. So to my way of thinking, any any aspect of agriculture today that is becoming popular that doesn't involve tilling the soil violates that principle and can't be blessed of God. And because of that, that eliminates a lot of these common and more popular trends in agriculture today. We're going to see that, that for example, hydroponics is something that is very void of providing a good quality plant for our nutrition. You can grow beautiful plants that way, but you can't grow good food that way. So that's off my list. Biodynamics, aquaculture, permaculture, and this whole back to Eden thing, it's a phenomenon that has taken place, is a massive deception, folks. And you're going to understand why as we go through some of the later presentations today, but that's just not good science. And we have to realize that the worldly forces in agriculture recognize that not just you and I and this group in this room today are interested in providing good quality food for ourselves. All of society is today. We have organic uh, growth in, in, in the organic industry that is phenomenal today because everyone is concerned about their health. We all realize that the globalized model of monoculture mainstream agriculture is a very flawed model. So we're not the only ones that are interested in this. And there is something being marketed to every segment in society today that is a counterfeit of what should be taking place. And that's why I have this little pamphlet here, Farming with Dynamite from DuPont. This pamphlet was, was, was printed uh, just before, dur during, and after World War I. And part of the reason that they were advocating the use of dynamite, this is still available online, by the way. If you want to Google farming with dynamite, you can find a couple of sources on the web where you can read this. And, you know, they advocate its use for all kinds of things, not just blowing stumps out of your field, but actually loosing hard pan and, and you know, texturizing your soil. They have a wide variety of different uses for it. And part of the reason that they were trying to market dynamite was because they had a surplus of it because they had been manufacturing explosives. So, you know, here is a, is a product looking for a purpose rather than solving the problems that, that, that were really at hand. So we need to have some discretion and understanding when we talk about soil. Building soil, uh, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I kind of, uh, you know, 
use the example of, of, of a bank account. When it comes to, to, to building a soil, we want everything in that soil that is going to be necessary, not only for plants' health, but for our health too. And we're going to go through this in a two-step process today. And it's important that we also understand that not all soils are the same. So each of us is going to have to take the principles of what we learned today and apply them to our circumstance. This is a soil map of the United States in each color. They don't render very well here on the, uh, on the screen. Uh, but each color represents a major soil order. And within those major soil orders, we have many, many different subclassifications too. On my little 120-acre farm in West Virginia, I have five completely different soil types. And understanding the chemistry of those, the physical property of those, is, is kind of an important step. Uh, this is where we're located, right smack dab in the middle of, of West Virginia. And West Virginia is not known for good farmland. In fact, our, our soils there, our native soils there, are really quite poor. And my uh, point in, 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 in sharing this with you is that often those of you that are looking with your families for a good place to settle and, and, and conduct agriculture... Good soil is a nice thing, but most of, it's, most of it's gone, most of it's sold, and it's not likely you're going to find the ideal place uh, for your uh, you know, semi-quasi-garden of Eden, if you will. You're going to need to work, to toil, to sweat, to build that soil. But uh, since we've been here now seven years, I've grown things on our soil that are, are uh, uh, comparable to, to, to the best produce that I've seen grown anywhere in the world. And it's because we have taken the steps to build that soil bank, uh, uh, that bank account, both biologically and with minerals over time. And uh, we can grow as good a produce there as you can find anywhere today. Our soils today are sick, folks. They're very, very sick. The consequences of sin on this planet have ravaged not only our population with diseases and distresses, but also the entire biology of this planet. And uh, in many instances, the chemistry of this planet also when it comes to the soil. Our soils today are very, very depleted and becoming more so all the time. Uh, we can see, for example, that an average soil, these are vegetable growing soils. These samples were actually taken from uh, Salinas Valley in California. 59% less zinc, 27% less iron, 46% less calcium than just two generations ago, just 40 years ago. This is what is happening to our soils. Uh, corn today has 78% less calcium on average than it used to. And things like collard greens here. Uh, in, in 1960, uh, we have a comparison to uh, 2013, 63% less vitamin C, 29% less calcium, 43% less vitamin A, and this just goes on and on and on. And many studies have been done recently to address this issue, and uh, the reality is that across the board, our, our foods are just not as nutritious as they used to be. So even if we're making good choices and selections at the store, and we're buying organic produce for its virtue of having fewer pesticides, and we're looking at... at, at, at uh, you know, the, the best resources that we can get to provide our food, we're still not getting what we think we're getting in terms of the nutrition from, from our crops. Because frankly, you've got to eat four or five heads of broccoli today to get the same nutrition you got 30 years ago from one head of broccoli. Did you have a question? Is there a one-stop 
No, you're going to have to do a little work. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I want to caution you about using internet resources when it comes to researching agriculture. You better know what you're looking at. Or you're going to end up with that, ten list, that, that list of 10 best-selling Christian books, and you're going to find yourself reading Ben-Hur. So this is where my, my expansive background in the agriculture industry is helpful to me because over time I've been able to develop the discernment. You know, I've been to the fertilizer plants that I'm going to talk about a little later today. I've, I, you know, I understand what the methodologies are that are used in, in mainstream agriculture and, and know what the products are and where they're derived and where they're manufactured and how. That's information that most people just don't have because you don't have that experience. So unfortunately, no. And you've got to be very careful about which sources you're going to read. Um, you know, if we've just been through a, a really, really divisive election in this country. And a very, very polarized uh, environment exists in our country today politically. Now, it doesn't matter what side of that polarity you're on, you've got to realize that it's a very polarized circumstance. The same thing is true today in the world of agriculture when it comes to talking about conventional agriculture and organic agriculture. It's a very, very polarized environment. And you have radicals and unbalanced perspectives on both sides of that argument. So just because something is natural or just because something is promoted as being organic does not necessarily mean that that's the recipe that the Lord has for us in understanding and digesting information. So be cautious in your, in your, in your, in your study, I guess I would say. All right. Fundamentally, there are 17 elements, 17 basic elements that are essential for plant growth. And uh, I, I'm just going to touch on this briefly here to point something out. And that is that plants can thrive beautifully with just those 17 elements. You can find a list of these on the website that I just told you about. Yes. I'm, I'm, I was suggesting that you go to my website. I'm not going to have time today to delay on, on, on slides and things, but that's why I referred you to the website earlier because th that slide is on the website. <clears throat> All right. Uh, there are 17 elements that are essential for, for absolute optimum plant growth. And this is the basis for a lot of hydroponic agriculture. Is, is we as, as agronomists and soil scientists know for each type of plant what, exact, what the, the, the absolute perfect array is of those nutrients to grow a really good plant. And that's where understanding the quality of food becomes important because what looks good doesn't necessarily mean that that's good for you. Because we can't measure other elements in that article of food to determine whether there are nutri nutrients or healthful properties to that food. Part of the reason for that is because the human body requires at least 16 additional elements to those 17 that plants require. And these are not addressed in agriculture. We've had a disconnect in our understanding of human physiology and human biology and plant agriculture and the need to address plant agriculture from a human physiology perspective. And for that reason, all of these other elements that are required for human health, they're not even considered in any agricultural school 
in the world today. It's just assumed that they must be there and that if we grow, if we grow the plants healthfully, the plant will, will, will provide us with the nutrients that we need, the nutrition that we need. That's not the case, folks. Because over time, as roots extract these elements from the soil, we're mining them. And after 6,000 years of history, we've mined this planet terribly. And when we ignore this other aspect of nutrients in our garden, it not only affects us, it affects the microbiology in our soil too. Because if it's not there for us, it's not there for the microbes either. And we end up with a situation where we have very, very badly mined soils. In typical agriculture, and this includes organic agriculture, we address only a few of those elements. We typically are addressing things like nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, occasionally sulfur and calcium, soil deficiencies of micronutrients, things that are required in very small amounts, are typically in mainstream agriculture not addressed in the soil. They're addressed by applying uh, chelated forms of those elements on the plant themselves, feeding them foliar through the leaves rather than through the roots, never addressing or fixing the problem in the soil. And as I said, the other 16 elements required for human nutrition are completely ignored. And that's across the board. The other influence that we have on our food quality today is plant breeding. The plants that are bred today, and this includes many of the varieties that we grow in our home gardens, not just the commercial varieties, but many of them are bred specifically for yield, obviously. What do farmers get paid for? How much they produce? So the incentive here in plant breeding is to, is to grow crops that will produce the most, right? Now, the, the, the fundamental uh, uh, characteristic of plants that makes them very unique is that they can take sunlight through a process called photosynthesis and turn it into solid matter, right? Carbohydrates. That's the fundamental process that plants undergo. And we've learned how to really maximize taking sunlight and turning it into substance in the form of carbohydrates. And this is what has been responsible for this explosion in yield. But plants are so much more complex than just that starch equation. They don't just form sugars and starches, they form all kinds of other complex vitamins, proteins, and phytochemicals that are necessary for our health that really are not part of the consideration in developing crops for a starving world today. So because of the push for yield, we have lower nutrition. The other consideration when it comes to plant breeding is that we're shipping most of our food halfway around the planet today before it gets eaten. So it has to hold up well in storage, and it has to hold up well in the distribution cycle. So we want plants that are tough, that won't bruise easily, right? You folks wonder why you don't buy a tasty tomato at the grocery store? Well, one of the primary um, criteria for developing a commercial tomato is that it's going to get to the market and eventually to your table without being just a pile of soft gooey mass on your table when it gets there. So flavor, things like flavor and nutrition, they're not, they're not even considerations here. And this is part of the reason too that we have problems. And they're, 
uh, 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 their bread to, to retain moisture. They have very tough, thick skins so that they don't dehydrate in that six to eight week journey from the farmer's field to your table. You know, most of the produce that you're eating today is far older than you think it is. You know what the average age of an apple is when you go down to the local grocery store and buy it today? The average age is 14 months. 14 months is the average age of an apple sold in the United States today. Now, how can that be? Well, it's because we've perfected through plant breeding, through the selection of varieties, and through processes of chemically treating those apples and holding them in, in environmentally uh, uh, controlled uh, cold storage facilities where all kinds of different gases are introduced to eliminate the ethylene and to, uh, you know, to infuse the apples with other gases that will uh, keep them from deteriorating as quickly. That's, that's how that happens. Uh, the other thing that I'll just mention briefly since we're talking about apples is since we're in the land of apple pie here in America, we think when we buy an apple we're doing something on a patriotic level. And that's not true anymore either because more than half the apples in our country come from China today. More than half. And because they're bled, uh, are bred to resist post-harvest uh, pathogens, uh, you know, we don't want them uh, being attacked by bacteria or fungal diseases in cold storage. Many of them are, are, are bred for resistance to those things post-harvest. And also many, many different pesticides are used on food even after it's harvested. And many compounds are applied to our food to keep it moist and turgid too. You, you, you've probably all been to the, uh, you know, to the grocery store and you see the misters over the produce aisle. And you think, well, there's water, you know, they're just, they're spraying a little water on there, you know, to keep it, keep it turgid. Uh, that's not just water, folks. Not even in the organic section is it just water. There are preservatives and anti-transparent agents, and the organic produce is treated with a different array of chemicals, but they're chemicals nonetheless that are added to the food after it's, after it's grown. All right? Now, because we are not growing our food, or we're not planting our food into soil that is rich in many of the minerals that we need, society's response today is basically to go to the mineral supplements instead, right? And, you know, this is, is, is confusion, folks. The Lord, the Lord did not design us to digest solid rocks that are mined out of the ground because we didn't manage our soils properly. So if you're, if you're taking mineral supplements today, this message is really for you because the best way to ingest your minerals is in a plant-derived form because they're available to you. We're not, we're, we're not designed to, to digest rocks, and that's basically what a lot of these mineral compounds are. The other solution that has been provided to, uh, you know, to, to the animal uh, production industry because animals aren't going to be any more healthful on a sick diet than we are is they introduce these minerals into animal feed also in, in very, very large amounts to make up for the deficiencies of the forage and of, of, of the crops that the animals are growing. That to me is not a solution to the problem. That is applying a band-aid to a very serious case of malnutrition. The other thing I want to point out is we do have some correlations here between various different diseases and the reduced amount of these mineral elements in the soil. As the mineral elements go down, and I'm not going to dwell on this in great detail, but as the mineral elements uh, become 
less available in the soil, our, our disease rates are just skyrocketing. And we've really seen this profoundly in the last 30 or 40 years. This has really been accentuated in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, this also uh, indicates that there's an increase of mineral deficiencies in people, obviously, since they're not being applied to the con or not being applied to the uh, you know to the soils. Our vegetables are not taking them up. They're not present in the vegetables. They're not present in us. And the incidence of mineral deficiency since 1963 has gone up enormously. The mineral content of our vegetables has dropped enormously also. I want you to look at this. This is the, the first part of this is, is from 19... Can you folks see the screen over, over there, Wana? But uh, here in 1914, uh, you know, we had uh, a, a good amount of, of mineral content in our vegetation. And down at, at about the time the Green Revolution was taking place after World War II and through the 60s and 70s, we planed off at a very low level. And that, I wish they had some more uh, recent data uh, on this also because we would see that it's even dropped uh, significantly since then. Now, you know, uh, that's almost 90%, folks, of the minerals that are not present in our food today that were there at the turn of the last century. And if those minerals aren't there, and because of our farming practices, we have... Uh, immense erosion taking place to our soils today are basically sterile mediums from which plants are grown with the infusion of chemicals, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a very uh, coarse sense. Uh, most of the food that we're eating today is, is, in a sense, hydroponically grown. Uh, when you look at some of the examples of our finer vegetables, our, our, our lettuce, for example, that comes out of, out of California or out of the, uh, the Arizona deserts or out of northern Mexico or even out of Florida here, uh, those soils are fumigated prior to the planting of the crop because lettuce is a high-value crop, and in, most of us that are farmers know that if you plant the same crop over and over again, you're going to develop pathogens in the soil that will wipe out your crop. So we practice crop rotation. Well, in, in many of the, 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 the agricultural communities today, crop rotation is no longer practiced because the, the crop has such high value. It's easier to go in and sterilize the soil with a fumigant that essentially kills everything, bacteria, fungi, weed seeds, arthropods, insects, everything. And it's a, it, it's a sterile media. And by infusing the right balance of those 17 essential elements for plant growth, they can grow beautiful crops on that stuff. Uh, it looks beautiful, but looks are very deceiving. And you cannot judge the quality of food by its looks. And the other real... Um, you know, a demon that we have as a culture here in America is that we think the bigger is better. You know, when you go to the, to, to the county fair this year, you're going to see the blue ribbons on the biggest watermelons, right? Not the, not the most nutritious watermelon or the most tasty watermelon or the, or the one that is, is highest in, in, in value for, for nutrition for you. You're going to see it on the biggest one. And, you know, we're, we're guilty of that too, aren't we? I mean, when we get that four-and-a-half-pound tomato... Uh, we're bragging about it down at the farmer's market, you know, look at this thing. Well, the size doesn't mean anything, folks. I mean, if it's grossly stunted, obviously something's wrong with it. But in terms of quality, we can't use size or appearance 
as a measure of quality for nutrition. It just is a bad paradigm. The only way we really know is if we have taken the steps to address the chemistry of the soil in a way that will allow for rich biological activity to take place, to liberate those minerals to the plants, that the plants take those elements up into them and in their in, 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 in the amazing nutrition factory that's there for, for us, transform them into forms of minerals that we can digest and can provide us with vigor and health. The other issue with many situations today, including, including home gardeners, is, is soil compaction. Now, one of, the, one of the big reasons that permaculture agriculture is, is becoming popular is because it uh, tends to alleviate this problem somewhat because the whole concept behind permaculture is you get your beds nice and fluffy and infused with the right sets of microorganisms and the right balance of chemistry. And then it's just, you, you don't walk on it, you don't till it, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't work with it uh, a lot. And because of that, it relieves some of the problems that are caused by compaction, where we're either walking or tilling or, in the case of commercial agriculture, dragging you know, multi-ton pieces of, of, of equipment over the soil. And this has a real effect on the productivity of the soil, too, and something that we need to be aware of. Uh, one of the profound consequences of compacted soil is it dramatically reduces the amount of air in the soil. And because the air... Uh, quantity is reduced so dramatically, it reduces the biological activity in the soil or the organic matter that's in the soil. So this is something that we're going to, uh, uh, to look at a little bit later today. Um, using potatoes as an example in a study to find out what nutrients the potato has lost over the last 50 years, this is what was concluded. This is over a 50-year period of time. 100% of the vitamin A in modern potatoes is gone. It's gone. 50% of the vitamin C and iron are gone. 28% of the calcium is gone. 50% of the riboflavin is gone. And 18% of the thiamine is gone. That's in the last 50 years. That's, you know, uh, uh, a pretty astonishing development in the course of human history. To see the dramatic decline that we have in the quality of food today to me, is one of the most startling things I can imagine. And because of this, uh, I'll get to, you, to your question in just a moment. Because of this, we have a great deception taking place in the country right now. And most of us see it around us all the time. We certainly do in West Virginia. We've got a very serious problem with this issue, and that's obesity. Because since people are not getting the nutrients out of the food that they need, our bodies are in a constant state of craving. And if we're craving constantly, we're going to seek to, to satiate that craving. And if we're doing it with foods that don't have the nutrient to meet that demand, we're going to overconsume, aren't we? Or we're going to consume things to a point where we are simply people in 300-pound bodies that are dying of malnutrition. And that's the reality in America today. That's where we're at today. This is the issue. It's not just about making right choices with food. Now, granted, the fast food industry and the soft drink industry have a part to play in that. But even people that are making right choices about the foods that they eat today 
are overweight. And that's because even though they're making the right choices, they're eating more of it, trying to meet that need, and they're not satisfied. So to me, that's, that's the greatest deception we have in society today. It, see, it appears that food is more plentiful than it's ever been, but the calories are empty calories, and we're paying a tremendous price for that. You had some, did you have a comment you wanted to make over here? Uh, is that out of the ground or off the shelf? Is this out of the ground or off, the, off shelf? the shelf? That's off the shelf. That's, what, that's what's being consumed. But when you have 14-month-old apples on average, your potatoes are not generally fresh either. <laughs> uh, here, just an example of, of the decline in vitamin C in spinach over time. Uh, in 1950, samples tested at about 150 milligrams. In 1994, 13 milligrams. Again, you know, 90% reductions across the board here. Um, what we're going to talk about uh, in, the, in the sessions that, that are going to follow this morning um, is the importance of understanding soil health from a more comprehensive perspective than just managing the soil, just managing the microbiology and just managing the physical and chemical aspects of, of, of what we're, we're, we're going about here. And what I want to share with you today, we're going to get into some numbers a little bit later on, but I don't want you to get distracted by those numbers because what I really want you to comprehend are the principles. I'm not going to be able to go through the next presentation with you and have you 100% confident that you understood everything I said in the next presentation, but what I want you to pay attention to are the principles and the steps that I follow. And then if you do want to comprehend it, as I said, you can go to the website, you can get the DVDs, you can follow it up a little bit more, a little bit further. But what I'm really here this week in trying to do with you folks is to turn our thinking so that we understand that if we are going to produce food for ourselves that is healthful and nutritious, we have to discard a lot of the contaminated understanding that has been uh, projected on us by society and by our reading of those books. You know, if you want to make money in agriculture today, the best way to do it is not to plant something. Believe me, farming is hard work. We've been supporting ourselves doing it for a while now. It's hard work, folks. It's not easy. It's risky. And even with my level of expertise and experience over time, I still have challenges. I still have problems. They never go away. But if you really want to make money, don't do the agriculture. Write a book about it. Develop a method. Come up with a concept, something for people to read that makes it look like you can avoid all those things. And this is one of the great distractions of that terrible video, Back to Eden. And if you want to know more about that, come and see me, because that is an extremely deceptive and, to my way of thinking, diabolical video. And many of our folks that should know better have embraced this concept and employed it and it's, it's nonsense. If you'd like more specifics on that, I'll be happy to share it with you later. But not only is that video agronomically destructive, it's a corruption of scripture. 
and it's used inappropriately. Now, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not casting aspersion on Paul Gauchi here, the producer of that video, for producing something that, uh, you know, that he believes in, that he thinks is right, but it's not right, folks. He's deceived. And the method that he employs in that video addresses a very, very small aspect of agriculture. And for him, because of his microenvironment, because of his situation, it apparently works. But I would challenge him any day to compare the nutritional value of what he is growing and the nutritional value of what I am growing for the food value, for the mineral content, for its capacity to really nourish people. I'm sorry to get off on that tangent, but I, I still need to address this. This is a, uh, this is a, uh, you know, a movement that kind of took root four or five years ago. And, and at the time, Dave Westbrook and I discussed producing a, a webinar to refute it. He from the spiritual side of it and me from the agronomic side of it. And we decided not to do it because we just both kind of felt it was going to be a passing fad. That, you know, it's one of those things that, that comes and goes because that happens all the time both in doctrines within the church and within, you know, that are, that are promulgated within the church, false doctrines and, and, and false doctrine in agriculture. They come and go. But this one has stuck around, so I've got to open my mouth and say something about it, folks. If anybody hands you that video, you tell them to talk to Bob, okay, before they, before they embrace that. Do you have information on your website about that? No, I don't. <clears throat> I think it's a waste of my time to refute error when I have the opportunity to share with you the truth. That's, that's, where, I'm gonna, that's where I'm gonna apply my energies and effort, and that's why I have not taken a, a, a lot of time to, to refute it. And by God's grace, if we're good students of scripture, we're gonna recognize within the first two minutes of that film that something's very, very wrong, okay? And if you really need a foundation for understanding what's wrong, read Genesis chapter 3 this evening. Study Genesis chapter 3 from the first verse to the last verse, and it will, it will explain everything you need to know. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Soil has biological components, and this is the organic matter that we're going to be talking about later today. And my definition of organic matter is a real simple definition. It's anything that is living or was living that's in the soil, okay? There's a lot of complex definitions that people use out there, but anything that is living or was living. And these are examples of the biological components that we have in the soil. We have fungi, bacteria, protozoa, algae, enzymes, arthropods, and detritus. And detritus is just the decaying parts of any or all of these things, the dead side of the cycle, if you will. And we also have plant roots and decaying plant material here, too. These are critically important to that cycle of mineral nutrition that I was speaking about also. In terms of how the plant utilizes those minerals, it's very important to realize that biological activity is necessary for that full array of mineral nutrition to come into the plant for our use. And this precludes the use of simply using chemical salts or just using the minerals themselves in terms of growing our, our crops and our gardens. We want to provide an environment that nourishes not only the plants, but nourishes all of these things too, so that they can do their part in the life cycle of the soil 
to provide those minerals to us. Uh, one of the, the, the uh, fungi that is talked about widely today is mycorrhizal fungi for the uh, assistance of the plant in absorbing phosphorus. And essentially, I'm just giving this to you as an example. We'll, we'll get into this a little more deeply later. But the mycorrhizal fungi live in a symbiotic relationship with the root systems of plants and can actually extend their capacity to forage for phosphorus in the soil. And what you see here is roots and a lot of this white mass, these are mycelial strands. This is not the root, but this is the mycelial strand of the fungus that basically extends the root system. The plant gains the benefit of the phosphorus that the fungus provides to it. The fungus derives the benefit of the carbohydrate that it gets from, from living in a symbiotic relationship with the plant. And if that's not in place, uh, our, our, our plants need a lot more phosphorus available to them because the root system is not that efficient at foraging for phosphorus. This is one example of why biological activity is so important in our soils. I talked to you earlier about the importance of perspective and one of the things that I like to look at are things on a small scale. Anybody know what this is? That's a bacteria. That's a form of, of soil bacteria. These are things that are all living and alive. When you start looking at things through an electron microscope, things get really, really kind of interesting. You've all seen this before. Who knows what it is? That's the bottom side of a potato leaf. Here we have the little stomates and we have uh, these little protrusions of hairs here. That's what the bottom side of a potato leaf looks like if we look at it through an electron microscope. And my purpose for sharing these things is just that there's a lot more out there than we assume is out there with the casual eye. This is a, uh, this is a grain of wheat that is just germinating. And this is the radical, the root radical that's protruding. And already you see these little fine shoots on the side. That's the business end of a root system. That's the part that actually does the work of the root system are these fine little root hairs that protrude through the soil. Now those things we don't see when we pull a plant out of the ground, we're missing about 70% of the root system. We, we, see the, we see the pipes, we see the plumbing, but we don't see the actual working part of the root system because it is so fine. And when we start managing our soils in a way to enhance this, instead of damaging it, which is uh, often the case with the application of many uh, commercial fertilizers, uh, we're going to see a proliferation of growth and a proliferation of biology in our soil, our counts of bacteria, fungi, all kinds of other beneficial enzymes uh, and protozoas start to increase in the soil. Our overall organic matter in the soil goes up and we can do that by managing the soil with mineral chemicals on my farm. The area that we use for one of our gardens actually was the playground. And when we first did our soil analysis on that before we planted anything, I had a little over 1% organic matter in that soil. That's not very good. I want to see up around 5% in my soils or perhaps even a little more. We had 1%. Now, I didn't add any organic matter to that soil, but I did address the mineral deficiencies. And guess what happened? The organic matter came up. Now, how can that be? 
It's because I fed the organisms that were there as well as the crops that I was growing and we actually grew that organic matter in place. The last sample I took was, was, was last year, we were four and a half percent organic matter. And that was not adding mulch, not adding wood chips, not adding uh, you know, any, anything uh, to increase that organic matter other than just correcting the chemistry. So what we're going to cover in our next segment is how to address this chemistry. You said you added wood chips okay, to build up... Uh, no, I didn't add wood chips. I said I didn't add any organic matter. I simply corrected the chemistry of the soil, and then that took place. You see, one of the, one of the great, um, I think, misunderstandings among organic growers is that anything can be solved with compost. Anything can be solved with enough organic matter. And that, folks, is a myth. It's, it simply is not true because you have to have the right chemistry if you're going to get the right balance in the soil. And if you live, as, as where I live, we have very level, low levels of boron, for example, I can add all of the local tree leaves, all of the local hay, all of the local organic matter, composted or otherwise, local manures, and put it on my soil, I'm still going to be low in boron. I'm still not going to get the right balance because if the mineral isn't there in the soil, it's not going to be in anything that was produced by that soil, and it's not going to be there when I add that back to, to, to my ground. So simply adding the, the organic material, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing organic material here at all. It's great stuff, but you need to know what you're doing with it, and you need to understand the chemistry of it, because without the fundamental corrections in chemistry, you're not going to achieve the results that you desire to achieve. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.